Book Fifth, Chapter One of Les Miserables. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to learn how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is performed by Sofia Bravo of Miami, Florida. Book Fifth, The End of Which Does Not Resemble the Beginning. Chapter One Solitude and the Barracks Combined. From Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Cosette's grief, which had been so poignant and lively four or five months previously, had, without her being conscious of the fact, entered upon its convalescence. Nature, spring, youth, love for her father, the gaiety of the birds and flowers, caused something almost resembling forgetfulness to filter gradually, drop by drop, into that soul which was so virgin and so young. Was the fire wholly extinct there? Or was it merely that layers of ashes had formed? The truth is that she hardly felt the painful and burning spot any longer. One day she suddenly thought of Marius. Why, said she, I no longer think of him. That same week she had noticed a very handsome officer of Lancers, with a wasp-like waist, a delicious uniform, the cheeks of a young girl, a sword under his arm, waxed moustaches, and a glazed shopka, passing the gate. Moreover, he had light hair, prominent blue eyes, a round face, was vain, insolent, and good-looking, quite the reverse of Marius. He had a cigar in his mouth. Cosette thought that this officer, doubtless, to the regiment in barracks in the Rue de Babylon. On the following day she saw him pass again. She took note of the hour. From that time forth was it chance. She saw him pass nearly every day. The officer's comrades perceived that there was, in that badly kept garden, behind that malicious rococo fence, a very pretty creature who was almost always there when the handsome lieutenant, who was not unknown to the reader and whose name was Théodule Guillemard, passed by. See here, they said to him, there's a little creature there who is making eyes at you. Look. Have I the time, replied the lancer, to look at all the girls who look at me? This was at the precise moment when Marius was descending heavily towards agony, and was saying, If I could but see her before I die. Had his wish been realized, had he beheld Cosette at the moment, gazing at the lancer, he would not have been able to utter a word, and he would have expired with grief. Whose fault was it? No one's. Marius possessed one of those temperaments which bury themselves in sorrow, and there abide. Cosette was one of those persons who plunge into sorrow and emerge from it again. Cosette was, moreover, passing through that dangerous period, that fatal phase of feminine reverie, abandoned to itself in which the isolated heart of a young girl resembles the tendrils of the vine which cling, as chance directs, to the capital of a marble column or to the post of a wine-shop, a rapid and decisive moment, critical for every orphan, be she rich or poor, for wealth does not prevent a bad choice. Misalliances are made in very high circles. Real misalliance is that of souls, and as many an unknown young man, without name, without birth, without fortune, is a marble column which bears up 
a temple of grand sentiments and grand ideas, so such and such, a man of the world, satisfied and opulent, who has polished boots and varnished words, if looked at not outside, but inside, a thing which is reserved for his wife, is nothing more than a block obscurely haunted by violent, unclean, and vinous passions, the post of a drinking shop. What did Cosette's soul contain? Passion, calmed, or lulled to sleep? Something limpid, brilliant, troubled to a certain depth, and gloomy, lower down. The image of the handsome officer was reflected in the surface. Did a souvenir linger in the depths, quite at the bottom? Possibly. Cosette did not know. A singular incident supervened. End of chapter. Chapter 2. Cosette's Apprehensions During the first fortnight in April, Jean Valjean took a journey. This, as the reader knows, happened from time to time, at very long intervals. He remained absent a day or two days at the utmost. Where did he go? No one knew, not even Cosette. Once only, on the occasion of one of these departures, she had accompanied him in a hackney coach, as far as a little blind alley, at the corner of which she read, Impasse de la Planchette. There he alighted, and the coach took Cosette back to the Rue de Babylon. It was usually when money was lacking in the house that Jean Valjean took these little trips. So Jean Valjean was absent. He had said, I shall return in three days. That evening, Cosette was alone in the drawing-room. In order to get rid of her ennui, she had opened her piano organ, and had begun to sing, accompanying herself the while, the chorus from Eurythine, Hunters stray in the wood, which is probably the most beautiful thing in all the sphere of music. When she had finished, she remained wrapped in thought. All at once it seemed to her that she had heard the sound of footsteps in the garden. It could not be her father, he was absent. It could not be Toussaint. She was in bed, and it was ten o'clock at night. She stepped to the shutter of the drawing-room, which was closed, and laid her ear against it. It seemed to her that it was the tread of a man, and that he was walking very softly. She mounted rapidly to the first floor, to her own chamber, opened a small wicket in her shutter, and peeped into the garden. The moon was at the full. Everything could be seen as plainly as by day. There was no one there. She opened the window. The garden was absolutely calm, and all that was visible was that the street was deserted, as usual. Cosette thought that she had been mistaken. She thought that she had heard a noise. It was a hallucination produced by the melancholy and magnificent chorus of Weber, which lays open before the mind terrified depths, which trembles before the gaze like a dizzy forest, and in which one hears the cackling of dead branches beneath the uneasy tread of the huntsmen, of whom one catches a glimpse through the twilight. She thought no more about it. Moreover, Cosette was not very timid by nature. There flowed in her veins some of the blood of the bohemian and the adventuress who runs barefoot. It will be remembered that she was more of a lark than a dove. There was a foundation of wilderness and bravery in her. On the following day, at an earlier hour, towards nightfall, she was strolling in the garden, in the midst of the confused thoughts which occupied her. She fancied that she caught for an instant a sound similar to that of the preceding evening as though someone were walking beneath the trees in the dusk, and not very far from her. 
but she told herself that nothing so closely resembled a step on the grass as the friction of two branches which have moved from side to side, and she paid no heed to it. Besides, she could see nothing. She emerged from the thicket. She had still to cross a small lawn to regain the steps. The moon, which had just risen behind her, cast Cosette's shadow in front of her upon this lawn as she came out from the shrubbery. Cosette halted in alarm. Beside her shadow, the moon outlined distinctly upon the turf another shadow, which was particularly startling and terrible, a shadow which had a round hat. It was the shadow of a man who must have been standing on the border of the clump of shrubbery, a few paces in the rear of Cosette. She stood for a moment without the power to speak, or cry, or call, or stir, or turn her head. Then she summoned up all her courage and turned round resolutely. There was no one there. She glanced on the ground. The figure had disappeared. She re-entered the thicket, searched the corners boldly, went as far as the gate, and found nothing. She felt herself absolutely chilled with terror. Was this another hallucination? What? Two days in succession? One hallucination might pass, but two hallucinations? The disquieting point about it was that the shadow had assuredly not been a phantom. Phantoms do not wear round hats. On the following day, Jean Valjean returned. Cosette told him what she thought she had heard and seen. She wanted to be reassured and to see her father shrug his shoulders and say to her, You are a little goose. Jean Valjean grew anxious. Cannot be anything, said he. He left her under some pretext and went into the garden, and she saw him examining the gate with great attention. During the night she woke up. This time she was sure, and she distinctly heard someone walking close to the flight of steps beneath her window. She ran to her little wicket and opened it. In point of fact, there was a man in the garden, with a large club in his hand. Just as she was about to scream, the moon lighted up the band profile. It was her father. She returned to her bed saying to herself, He is very uneasy. Jean Valjean passed that night and the two succeeding nights in the garden. Cosette saw him through the hole in her shutter. On the third night, the moon was on the wane, and had begun to rise later. At one o'clock in the morning, possibly, she had heard a loud burst of laughter and her father's voice calling her, Cosette! She jumped out of bed, threw on her dressing gown, and opened her window. Her father was standing on the grass plot below. "'I have waked you for the purpose of reassuring you,' said he. "'Look, there is your shadow with the round hat.' And he pointed out to her, on the turf, a shadow cast by the moon, and which did indeed bear a considerable resemblance to the spectre of a man wearing a round hat. It was the shadow produced by a chimney-pipe of sheet-iron, with a hood which rose above a neighboring roof. Cosette joined in his laughter, all her lugubrious suppositions were laid, and the next morning, as she was at breakfast with her father, she made merry over the sinister garden haunted by shadows of iron chimney-pots. Jean Valjean became quite tranquil once more. As for Cosette, she did not pay much attention to the question whether the chimney-pot was really in the direction of the shadow which she had seen, or thought she had seen, and whether the moon had been in the same spot in the sky. She did not question herself as to the peculiarity of a chimney-pot, which is afraid of being caught in the act, 
and which retires when someone looks at its shadow, for the shadow had taken alarm when Cosette had turned round, and Cosette had thought herself very sure of this. Cosette's serenity was fully restored. The proof appeared to her to be complete, and it quite vanished from her mind. Whether there could possibly be any one walking in the garden during the evening or at night. A few days later, however, a fresh incident occurred. End of chapter.